This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. This episode of Pass the Mic is sponsored by DoorDash. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Everyone, it's Bo York, producer of Pass the Mic, and all the podcasts on the Witness Podcast Network. This last past Labor Day, we did a live podcast-a-thon to benefit the upcoming Joy and Justice Conference. And what you're about to hear is part one of two-part episode of Pass the Mic, really diving into those two core things, joy and justice. And so we hope that you really enjoy this. Before I uh, pass it off to the guys, let me go ahead and just tell you this. Uh, you can go over to joyandjustice.com right now and donate to help the conference happen. As you'll hear in the episode, uh, we're looking for support and we need your support. Even if you're not able to come, joyandjustice.com is the place to go. Click on donate. Uh, we, we we need your support and uh, it is greatly, greatly appreciated. Now, when I toss it over here in the next few seconds to pass the mic, I, I need to kind of eat a little bit of crow here because as we were doing everything, uh, what was almost an entirely flawless live podcast-a-thon for three hours went off without any kind of technical hitch, uh, except for I forgot to press record at the very first few minutes. So fortunately, we didn't really lose anything. I mean, I can pretty much paraphrase, you know, yada, 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 blue check verified, yada, 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 follow at your own risk. And then here's Jabbar and... Tyler. But anyway, all that being said, uh, here's Jamar and Tyler. We're going to throw it back to Labor Day. Enjoy this first episode of our podcast-a-thon uh, to benefit joy and justice. Again, donate at joyandjustice.com. Listen, Jamar, you ever been through a hurricane? No, I think I'd remember that. I have been through a ballistic missile threat, but I think it's a little bit different. Don't even, don't compare, don't compare <laughs> that to the thing. You know how people are like, yo, have you ever been through this? And then they're like, well, one day I drove through snow and it was 10 feet high. <laughs> I had to swim out. I was just trying to think of a, of a, of a similar, you know, event that no, would cause you to black, drop that's everything. That's black Christianity. That's like, I, you know, I grew up and I have no shoes. Never, never had a shoe in my life. You know, come on. Oh, no, I should have brought up blizzards. You've been through a, a, a real snowstorm, Mr. Florida? I've been through a snowstorm, yeah. Come on, man. I went to college on the East Coast. I've been through a ah, snowstorm. Ah, you went to college on the East Coast. Boy, I grew up in that. Well, you know, yeah, I, I grew, grew up in hurricanes. In it don't matter. Anyway, the point is, we was dealing with Hurricane Dorian. We, we didn't know what, what was going to happen. And, and we have to take this moment because it's, it's, it's extremely serious to say, that Hurricane Dorian is a Category 5 hurricane, which is That's the highest incredible. designation. It is not the first Category 5 hurricane, contrary to what some of our leaders may think. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, it is one of the largest, one of the strongest recorded storms in history. And so we pray for our friends and our people in the Bahamas right now who are being bombarded uh, by Hurricane Dorian and the devastation that's happening there. It's, it's something about hurricanes, though, in a Florida context that the second you hear hurricane and the second you see the trajectory heading toward the mainland, something crazy happens. Everyone just rushes to the store. All the water is gone. There's no water. There's no non-perishable items, nothing. Like everything just immediately exits from the store. So as soon as I heard hurricane, 
I just went and bought four cases of water, two boxes of diapers. Because wow. I told I told my congregation yesterday, I'm like, yo, I'm not swinging on y'all for this last case of water, but I will. Like, I don't want to, but it's it's my kids now. Like, if it's just me, mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, I can survive on like orange soda, but it's my kids and it's like water, and so I'm like that's the one thing that would make me swing is like survival. And so I'm like, man, this really says a lot about us whenever we have this hurricane prep. But I also wanted to say, and I talked about this on Twitter, man, we talk spicy to hurricanes. Like, I don't know. It's like a weird Florida thing where it's like, we going mano y mano with this storm. Huh? Like we will fight the hurricane and say, it ain't nothing. We ain't scared. I'm like, yo, if there's one, if there's one thing I'm not going to trash talk, it's like nature. You know, because nature's always going to win. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that's like a regional thing. Wow. That's something we do nationally. I think or that's like a trauma thing. Like 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 uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Christina Edmondson, talks about trauma laughter, where Black people have to laugh at the trauma of race just to sort of as a survival mechanism. I wonder if like talking <laughs> talking that way to the storm is just like a survival mechanism for people who always constantly seasonally has to have to face that threat. That's true. That's probably it. It's also a little bit of toxic masculinity. But anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> uh, In real deep, real quick. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah. We talk about trauma laughter, man. The theme of the conference is joy and justice. And I remember when we had this conversation, I was actually on the phone with you in D.C. And I was talking to you about, man, what, what would the theme of the conference, what should the theme of the conference be just like a year and a half ago? And you mentioned like this whole idea of joy and justice, how these are kind of like twin pillars of African-American existence. And if you had to interpret our story through these two, through two lenses, it would be these two joy on one hand, the pursuit of it, and also how that animates and fuels um, the, the chasing uh, and the pursuit of justice and equitable conditions for all human beings, especially within our community. So as you think about joy, I think it's it's important to ask off top, man, what's bringing you joy right now? Because I think that's going to kind of show what we think about joy and where where that um, belief and that strong conviction comes from. Yeah, man. In in all honesty, what's bringing me joy is activism and activists. It's resistance. It's the people who are daily fighting against uh, the the injustices in the world. And I know that sounds all big and lofty and everything, but I'm really talking about the day-to-day nitty-gritty granular level activity that activists are doing. And some people are full-time activists. Some some people are full-time something else, but they've made this part of what they do. And that gives me hope. Just a few examples. Um, I have the very distinct pleasure of working on another conference, not Joy and Justice conference, visit joyandjustice.com, October 4th and 5th, Chicago, register today. But this other conference is through... What other conference you're talking about on this? You said, what's bringing me joy? It's like, um, we're bringing together um, at the Making and Unmaking Mass Incarceration Conference, MUMI, M-U-M-I for short. And uh, that's happening December 4th and 6th. And it's all the top people in uh, namely historians, but activists too, who are working on criminal justice reform. And we're bringing them together in the same place to talk about how do you unmake this massive problem of mass incarceration? Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. And then also on on campus at the University of Mississippi, they're they're organizing a, a union for 
all workers, whether you are a graduate teaching assistant, whether you are a food service worker, uh, a wage laborer on campus, Mississippi United campus workers, that's something that's new to me. You know, I hadn't been deeply involved in unions before, but seeing their importance, seeing kind of the work they do, Poor People's Campaign. Um, I just got off the phone last week with, with uh, organizers in Iowa. They're actually reading The Color of Compromise uh, statewide. Wow which is wild to me. Um, they're sort of pioneers and leading the way in the present day in terms of justice and, and justice for the poor in particular. Uh, but they're organizing, they're on the ground and they're active every single day. So those are the kinds of things that I look at and I'm like, man, people are in this and they are for real, for real. So that's part of what gives me joy these days. Yeah. So that's really interesting. And for me, it's not going to be as deep because what's bringing me joy right now is any moment of sleep that I can get. So anytime I close my eyes and I drift off into eternity, um, it is, it is helpful for me right now. And I think it's really caused me to reevaluate my rhythms and my lack thereof and the control of my schedule and busyness. And I think that's actually why a conference, it seems as though it's something you know, kind of outside of the norm. It seems as though it's like cumbersome to get to or to do. But I think why a conference is so important is because we actually have to take time to slow down. We actually have yeah, to take good. time to breathe. We actually have to take time to disengage from the busyness and the frenetic pace that we often keep. And the things that we want to do, kind of on the flip side of what you were talking about with activism, is there's so much to do. There's so much to do, so much to do, so much to do. When do we just be? When do we just exist? And I think sometimes existing is the gift in and of itself, that existing and just breathing and, and being present is what has given me joy. But it's, it's kind of different from how I was raised. So my church tradition taught me different things about joy than just existing and being present. So as you think about joy from a church tradition standpoint, what did your church tradition like cause you to think about joy? How did you grow up perceiving joy? Because I think that leads to a perception of what it looks like in our lives and a perception of how we engage in it that actually might make it more mysterious and actually might make it more frustrating for people to attain to. That's a great point. Uh, before I address that question, it's also a good time to mention that we will have childcare at the conference. And so you yes. had mentioned not getting much sleep. I assume part of that is due to having a newborn infant and um, they don't care about your sleep schedule. They <laughs> I love it, though. I love it, do. though. Of I course. absolutely love it. Of course. Yeah, so I just want to make it clear. Children are a blessing, not a burden. <laughs> you know, just throwing that out there. Very clear. And we're going to make space uh, with childcare at the conference. So when you register, uh, I believe there is a place where you can indicate whether you will need that and let us know for planning purposes. So just for folks who may have questions, we also do have a frequently asked questions page at joyandjustice.com. So feel free to visit that if you have more queries. Um, to your question, man, how did I learn about joy? That's really interesting. I don't think I've really analyzed that until, um, until recently. And I said, I've said this before, I didn't really grow up going to church. I didn't grow up in a household that was hostile in any way toward Christianity. It just wasn't a priority. And then when I did start going to church and really sort of diving into understanding the Bible or Christianity for myself, 
a lot of times that was in white evangelical spaces and to paint with extremely broad brush here. Um, oftentimes in white evangelical theological traditions, joy is, is very present. There's this element of celebration all the time, namely celebration over salvation, which is great, obviously very appropriate. So it's not necessarily what's there, the celebration and the joy, it's what's not there, the lament and the mourning. And so when, when I learned joy, it was this idea that um, it was a celebration of salvation, but I didn't learn joy as defiance of injustice. I didn't learn about joy existing alongside of and in the midst of injustice. That's something I had to learn through experience and more recently through, through a more, much more intentional um, analysis and learning from the historic black church tradition. No, that's really interesting. So what you're saying is that joy was presented and or the idea of joy was exclusively related to salvation and soteriology, like truth. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily related to the, the, the material world, or was it? Was it related to like your surroundings? Was it related to your circumstances? Was it related to what happened to you? You know, it might, you might get something about joy in the midst of suffering if it was a sort of individual kind of suffering. Somebody was sick, uh, somebody fell on hard times financially or job wise, um, you know, someone died, those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, the white evangelicals I was around, they would point to joy in the midst of, of those kinds of sorrow. Almost never mm. in my recollection would there be any sense of joy in the midst of collective suffering, as in, what black people and other people of color have endured and experienced. It was almost never yeah. a sense of joy that in, in the midst of sin that has been imposed upon you by other people. Yeah. You see, that's, that's my struggle and wrestle with how we've treated joy as a concept is that it seems so individualized and it seems so, how do I say this? Well, let me explain it like this. So in the black church, what they tell you is they always make this, this difference, this differentiation. And I don't know if I've actually ever heard a sermon on joy in black church context or from a black preacher that didn't at least say this at one point in time in their, ser their, their sermon. There's a difference between happiness and joy, right? right? So happiness is based on what happens to you, your happenstance, your circumstances externally driven but joy comes from the inside it's just some that arises from and i'm like okay well I, I don't know if that's necessarily accurate right i, I don't you know i don't want to be heretical here but i don't know if that's necessarily accurate um I, I think we've kind of made happiness seem like the boogeyman like and we've made it seem like people just want positive feelings on a whim when i think it, I, I don't know if the lord um, despises the idea of happiness in the same way that we do and kind of makes that differentiation. Yeah. But it also, but it also made it seem like joy was something for really mature people and joy was something for the people. And they would always reference someone who's going through this debilitating illness. They would go through this debilitating illness, but they would keep a smile on their face. See, that's joy. And I'm like, well, I don't know if I could do that. So what you're telling me is 
I actually need to mute pain and mute the, the range of emotions that I feel to be faithful to Christ because that's what joy is. So if, I, if someone betrays me, oh no, you should just count it all joy through that. So that what that means is I ignore and push past my pain. I push past my suffering. I push past my lament and I just get to these happy feelings. I tie it up in a bow real quickly. And that's joy. That's joy. That's faithful to Christianity. And I'm like, it almost led to this burden in my heart that I don't know if I can have true joy because I don't feel it. Like I don't feel it deep down on the inside. So is there something wrong with my maturity to Christ? Does that make sense? It was just, it just made me feel like, Oh yeah. Is this, is this, is this something for the, the heightened elite Christians, the, you know, you know, so to speak, these, these, um, you know, high level Christians who are experienced, who, who know their stuff, who have, who have been doing this for a while, or is this something that I can enter into as, as a Christ follower, as a young Christ follower who was undiscipled, who was still trying to learn what I believed. And so that was the tension for me. That was the wrestle for me is, is finding that joy isn't just something that is just what, what, you know, Barbara Holmes calls unreflective happiness, like unreflective good feelings, right? That's, I don't know if that I don't know if that makes sense. That just that's just my so whenever it's, whenever I hear joy, I almost get triggered. So well, I'm like, ah, you know, like I think I think that's I think you're onto something really really deep here because I get that sense too. It's like if you feel so. So number one, we code feelings as positive or negative, um, not just yes. feelings, right? Like so so sadness or or anger, they get coded as negative feelings and negative in the sense that if you're a mature Christian, you shouldn't be feeling this way. And I think that's completely unbiblical. I mean, for all the Psalms where David or the psalmist is praying that the Lord would smite their enemies, would deliver them from trouble, would all, would all of these things, the gamut of emotions across the Bible, of course, right? Um, The idea that you cannot feel certain feelings because it's unchristian, I think places this massive burden on our shoulders, on our hearts, to always pretend as if we can find the silver lining and some reason to smile and be happy. Now, I want to tread carefully here because it's not as if there aren't things to be thankful for, even in the midst of dark times. Absolutely, yeah. But it's also not wrong to feel down. It's also not wrong to look at the brokenness and the sinfulness and the weaknesses and the wickedness of the world and actually have a heart, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And so what I think you're saying is joy is not separate and apart from that spectrum of human feelings. It's in the midst of and under and above and all around all of that. And just because we feel these things, uh, sadness, sorrow, lament, mourning. That doesn't mean we're not being joyful Christians. It doesn't doesn't mean we're we're not being mature believers either. That's what I get from it. This episode of Pass the Mic is sponsored by DoorDash. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office. Treat yourself to the meal you deserve, and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. 
Not only is your favorite pizza joint already on DoorDash, but there are over 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite, too. With door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada, order from your local go-tos or choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and the Cheesecake Factory. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code PTM. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code PTM. Don't forget, that's promo code PTM for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Please consider trying DoorDash to thank them for supporting Pass the Mic. I also think there's a subtext here, right? Especially as it relates to Black expressions of faith, Black Christians um, and Black churches. I think there is an expect, there's almost like this, uh, how do I want to say this? It's like a commodity, it's like, like turning Black joy into a commodity, right? Like we turn Black joy into this, especially in a Christian context. So Black Christian joy, how is Black Christian joy perceived? Black Christian joy is perceived as um, smiling faces and Black choirs. And it's almost like, and, and yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll say this because I, I think Kanye should catch these strays. So I think, I think, um, I think like you take Sunday service, for example, right? So there's this movement where Kanye is doing this thing called Sunday service. Have you seen this, Jamar? The Sunday service yeah, movement? Yeah, I have. It's quite interesting. Yeah, so it's pervasive, right? So everybody's, you know, he's, he's popping up and he's, you know, got these choirs and he's singing. And everybody's like, wow, this is just so refreshing. And I'm like, Kurt Franklin been doing this, but better for like 20 years. But anyway, no. so, so anyway, what, what you see though is that Kanye is tapping into this sense of, of black Christian expression as wow, this looks, and, and hey, he might be healthy. He might be doing it with pure intents and motives. Cool. I also think he's probably trying to sell some albums and trying to, you know, rehabilitate his image based upon all the MAGA stuff. You know, we can get into that argument and debate. But I think it almost reduces joy. Those types of expressions disconnected from human pain and suffering, disconnected from an exploration of the depth of faith disconnects us and cheapens the joy that is so normally associated with black churches and black Christianity. Because what we end up doing is we miss the reason why people are joyful. People aren't joyful because the harmony hits. Mm. People aren't joyful because the the voices are are banging. People aren't, aren't joyful because the, the player, the, the keyboard player hit that riff right at the right time. That's not why it's not, it's not this, this unreflective celebration of musical excellence. It's the joy comes from who we're singing about and what he has done on the inside of us. So it's not, and I'm not saying they don't have that relationship. I'm just saying it seems like it's almost a commodity that's used to sell something. Well, it you know, reduces, <laughs> it reduces like the whole purpose of what, joy is and and i think to a certain extent cheapens it i think so too and it reminds me of the myth of the happy black 
Um, Ex- precisely, <laughs> precisely. But that's what that's what Phil Robertson said, right? He's like, oh, yes. awesome. we're happy blacks, you know. Yes. That was one of my first uh, blog posts on this topic, and I remember just being sort of flabbergasted at the pushback and the response I received. So Phil Robertson, Duck Dynasty. Um, he, I don't remember what the context was, but he made this comment that he had grown up around poor black people and, and they would work side by side. And he said, all the blacks around me, they were happy. And I was like, that, what? So, Cause the problem is when a lot of white people say, oh, well, the, the black people I knew they were happy. They, they don't see the full scope or humanity of black people's lives, right? Yeah, that it was um, a survival mechanism because we could, yeah. you didn't, they don't identify black pain. Like the, right. the, the broader structures that be, the slave masters, the people who are over us don't respect and acknowledge black pain. So we had to be joyful because that's the only way you would interpret us. Yeah, you had to put, you had to wear the mask, right? You had to put on a smiling face because there was no way you could tell um, white people in power or, or just other white people in general, especially in, in decades past, what you were suffering and, and that you wanted things to change. You just couldn't do that, right? So you would put on this happy face or you just wouldn't speak much. You, you wouldn't pretend that things were great, but you just wouldn't let folks in to know what was really happening in your world. And so what, what developed was this myth that, that black people were happy when they were enslaved. Black people were happy as sharecroppers. And the only evidence people can give is, well, they were always happy around me. But that's because you, you only see what we have wanted you to see. And we have only put forth in general uh, among white people that which would lend to our survival, knowing full well that if we showed the full scope of our emotions, that could very well lead to some sort of harm coming our way. Yep. So, so I think all that contributes to this stream of black people can only be happy, right? What do you see celebrated in pop culture and media culture? It's our joy. And some of it's so legitimate, right? Like I just love the fall because all of these HBCU marching bands come out. You want yeah, it's, it's one of a kind. It's so, it's super unique. Yes, like, it's there's super nothing unique. Like there is a whole culture and history that goes along with an HBCU marching band, the pride, the skill, the expertise, it's amazing. And then when you have black people watching that, you see this, this huge celebration of something that is uniquely culturally, something that we've made our own. Um, and yet things like that can be put on display almost like, like commodifying it, like you just said. Yes, so hey, but see, here's careful. the thing is that a lot of how we determine whether or not those expressions are appreciated is who is, who is receiving it and who is celebrating in it. There's this really, and, and I referenced it a little bit earlier, it's a book called Joy Unspeakable by Barbara Holmes. And it talks about contemplative practices um, in the black church. And so I've been working through it. And it just so happened that right as, you know, you know, the whole Sunday service movement was, was going, which I think is dope in some ways. Um, because I mean, they're very talented, you know, and, and what have you. And Kanye's, you know, a genius in some ways musically, but it was almost like it, it's missing something. And I don't mean to do this to, you know, cancel Kanye, cause that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying we need to be careful about sharing something with masses who won't respect it. 
And, and at the same time that this was reaching its height, I remember reading this, this portion um, of the book from Barbara Holmes, where she talks about someone else's grandmother and how the grandmother said this, and I'll read this quote. Um, she said, if you share something sacred with people who won't respect it, they will try to reduce it to something that they can understand and miss the sacredness. Watch this. Therefore, don't let them know about your church music because they'll wow. turn it into dance music or look at it like folk music and miss the point that it's the music of suffering people that lifted them from earth to heaven. It's not merely an art form. Goodness. And so when we say this is, this is the, this is the distinction and this is what needs to be nuanced is that when we say joy, we mean your, and this is, this is something that's, that's biblical too. If you think of, you know, Jeremiah 31, I love that passage where it says, I will turn their mourning into joy. Mm. I'll, I'll turn their sorrow into gladness. Like I'll turn, I'll take, I'll take their, their full range of engagement with their emotions. I'll take all the things that they are pouring out to me and supernaturally the end result will be something joyful. Like that's why, that's why our funerals are different. Not because we don't know how to get, no, there's crying, there's screaming at funerals, there's grief work at funerals. That's what we call it in black church. Whenever someone is screaming about a loved one who's died at a funeral, we always say, no, they need to get their grief work in. Like that's um. what they need to do. Because them mourning, we believe God meets us in that. So for us to take away the central theme of why we rejoice, which is our transcendent reality, our transcendent peace in Christ, and to miss the fact that if you don't engage in the morning and if you don't make the morning a part of the practice, a part of the liturgy, then you're going to miss the real weight of joy. It's, it's, it's counterfeit joy. It's, it's joy light. It's joy that is actually pushing past what um, the deep work that God wants to do on the inside of us. So I love that scripture because it tells us that no, when we come together and when we mourn, it's not that we feel joy and it's not that we're going to coerce you into joy. Like, come on, come on, feel joyful, feel joyful, feel joyful. It's like wherever you're at, whether it's sadness, whether it's anger, whether it's mourning, whether it's sorrow, whether it's grief, wherever you're at, we believe that as you come together, that Christ meets you where you're at. And supernaturally, he gives you a transcendent peace and walks with you through that. Does he change every circumstance? No. Are you going to have reconciled relationships with every church that treated you poorly? No. Are you going to be able to get this back or that back or the loved one is going to come back from that illness? We're not saying that. We're not making, you know, snake oil promises about God's gifts. But what we are saying is that he meets us in that and walks with us. That's where the joy comes from. It's because he's, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Mm. I love how you brought up black funerals and grief work. That term is, is so valuable. And that idea gets to something that I have really come to think of joy as I come to, I've come to think of joy as catharsis, the ability mm -hmm. to let out whatever is in us. And in a sense, that means joy is freedom. And boy, are black people ready for freedom? Uh, we've been ready <laughs> since since 1619 and long before, and 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 not just physical freedom, 
not just material freedom, right? Freedom from poverty, obviously freedom from enslavement, freedom from segregation, all of those things. Yes, we long for freedom and even still now have to fight for it. But the freedom to be our full selves, the freedom. Yes, yes. Like, yes. like I just like it's, it's at this deep level. I wonder what it would like and what it would be like. And I really have no conception of what it would be like because it's such a distant reality. But what it would be like to walk into a room and not immediately count how many black people are there. To know whether I'm the only one, how how tense is this environment going to be? To be able to share a quote or a meme or a story or a video and not worry about people co-opting it or disrespecting it or commodifying it. To be able to speak in a language that is familiar and a cadence that feels natural and not be judged as less intelligent or less capable. Mm. Like that's the kind of freedom that I long for, and I think so many of us are long for, and, and that's the kind of freedom that I think is a taste of real joy, which is why some people aren't going to like this, but this is why racially and ethnically specific gatherings are very important. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Like, Talk about it, talk about it. What are the spaces that you can go into that you don't do a head count of black people? It's where most other people are black, right? So that would be a black church setting. That would be a HBCU setting. Any other number of formal and informal gatherings where there's more black people than others, right? Um, What are the times when you feel like you can lean into your culture? Things like blues music and jazz music or dance moves or videos or whatever it might be and do so in full freedom. Those are settings where people is really not even the color of one's skin is people understand you. They get you and they're going to accept the fullness of who you are without importing these, these harmful stereotypes or prejudices in the midst of that context. And so that's, I mean, that's what we're hoping at the conference, right? Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. It's for everybody, but we want it to be a place where black people especially feel free. Yeah, and and we also want to engage the contemplative practices as well in the liturgy, which isn't just we're going to come together and sing loud and shout and dance, and we hope all that happens at the conference. That's our desire, but also that we can sit and lament and we can reflect and we can be led in that, and we don't have to quickly move on from that. Like we don't have to just rush past for the for the meeting of of a schedule that if people need to sit, you know that they can sit if people need to cry that they can cry in a place that's not going to be um in a place that's not going to be observed voyeuristically or it'd be like wow look at that so much emotion you know <laughs> like more so no don't see us as 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 that see us as brothers and sisters in a common struggle and can you have the solidarity and the mutuality to step into that struggle and sit in it even though it may be uncomfortable. Um, And I think of the visceral reactions that people weren't allowed to have, you know, post 2016 election, you think about 2016 election, you think about um, black bodies dead in the streets, et cetera, which we always talk about, but think about the fact that it's not just simply that 
oh, this, this thing happened and it was terrible and it made us feel bad. Also, hey, I, I would like to scream about this, but where's the place where I can actually let out a scream and not be considered a threat and not be considered disruptive? That's right. That's right. And, and so, man, I hope if people feel the need to do that, that they're able to do that. You know, and and when we come together, we're able to be led through it to where it's not just this solo act of despair, but it's a communal act of I see you and I see your scream. I hear your scream. I see those tears. They matter not just to me, but to God. Um, mm. And let's walk with that. Let's walk through that together. There's a communal. I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. There is a communal aspect to joy. There is so much of that catharsis, so much of that freedom that I mentioned before happens in community. It happens when you're in the midst of other people who are on the same page. They may not be going through the same things you are, but they can empathize. And there's something in that other person or that group of people meeting you at the point where you are, wherever that could be. It could be a point of sorrow and sadness sadness and lament. It could be at a point of thankfulness and praise, whatever it is. But there's something about experiencing what you feel with other people who you trust and who feel safe to you that actually makes it, it, it intensifies the joy of the moment. Yeah. And this is what, you know, this is what's hard, right? Like in an era where you can just, do what you're doing now, stream a podcast um, and listen wherever you are nationally or even internationally. And you think about a conference and he's like, man, that's a lot of work. You know, I got to yeah. get a hotel room, yeah, I got to take work, et cetera, et cetera. Like we don't, it's so real. And people have limitations financially and work-wise and all of that. I totally get it. But you know, the Bible says, don't meet, don't, don't give up meeting together. Right. Um, and there is something in coming together that cannot be replicated online or in, you know, RSS feed. Um, not knocking the situations that would prevent people from coming, but I'm like this too. Like I need, I need a reason to get up and go out. Like it's got to be real. And I can't hardly you, you call it. There's the, the asynchronously. That's what I, <laughs> I went yeah, back and memorized that word. I said, I'm going to use it. For the um, but yeah, but yeah, there's something that can't be replicated. And so I would just encourage, especially people who feel empty and tired right now, like, like, and especially, man, my heart is, is heavy for so many people who have felt the way I have felt in, in times past that even your own church community is not only not what you would like it to be, but it's one of your sources of pain is something that's, that's, that's actually sapping the joy. Yes. I think if you come to something like joy and justice, it, it will remind you that when people gather together under the banner of Christ with the mindset that justice is important, that joy is important. Um, it'll remind you of the sweetness of that fellowship in a way that you, you might just need it. Absolutely, man. And that's why, you know, for those people who have may have limitations financially or maybe um, struggling just to get over that hump to come to the conference, that's why we're doing a 15% donation today, 15% uh, discount, excuse me, today for um, Joy and Justice Conference tickets. That means that if you go to joyandjustice.com and you put in the promo code Labor Day, you are going to receive a special discount just for today, um, just for the next uh, few hours 
And this is also going to give you the opportunity to join us for the Joint Justice Conference, which is October 4th and 5th at Ebenezer Missionary Baptist Church in Chicago, Illinois. We're so excited for it. And we don't talk necessarily all the time about speakers because we feel that the experience in and of itself is worth you attending, but we have some incredible speakers as well. So uh, you can go to joyandjustice.com to look at our, our speaker lineup at Kim and Eagle One, Dr. John Faison, uh, Dr. Nicole Massey-Martin, some guy named Jamar Tisby, who's written a couple of books. Um, no, you've only written one book. Is it one, one book? So far. It feels like you've written like 10 bestsellers because of how popular that one book is. Okay, keep uh, gassing it up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious, man. It's incredible. Uh, the entire team. Actually, my sister was talking to me about the book yesterday. What? And, uh, yeah, so she was like, you know what? Um, Jamar needs to do like a, a Netflix special or something. <laughs> and I was like, who knows? You never know what could come. You never know what God see my might ugly be doing. Mug. Why do you think we're doing this thing all, no <laughs> video? God might be doing <laughs> But man, it's not just, it, again, it's not just a solo show. So I want to yep. give the opportunity uh, for our next podcast, our next team to come up. That is, of course, um, Ali Henney and Pastor Aaron James as well. So as they get ready, man, I'm excited about this because these are two of the premier, the premier black pastors, theologians, mm. Mm. Uh, voices, they're incredible. I hate Aaron was like, man, do people get to see my beard? We were like, no. So <laughs> if you look up Aaron James, you know that the beard, it's beard goals around here, around this way. And Ali has a tremendous podcast called Combing the Roots, which was released this year on the Witness Podcast Network. So I encourage you to check that out. Man, these, I, I, there's so much I can say about them. There's so much I can say about their insightfulness and how much fun it is to, to see them get together and argue because we have overlapping church traditions. So mm. whether it's, you know, the charismatic tradition and then kind of how we interacted with, how we interact with justice and, and the gifts of the spirit and all those amazing things that we always sit back and say, you know what, it's, you my people, you my people. And you know what I'm talking about when I say stuff. So I'm excited to hear them in a few minutes. We, yeah, I mean, people listen to Pass the Mic and we're so thankful, but you're missing out on some incredible, incisive Black Christian thought if you, you're not listening, uh, particularly to Aaron James and Ali Henney as they have their podcast. So, yeah, there's more good stuff coming up. Um, I'm so thankful for the, for the po folks who have tuned in now or are, are listening and who have donated. Uh, this is really give them, that, give them it again. Give them it again, man. Come on, okay, let's keep okay. going. Let's yeah, keep yeah, yeah. Joyandjustice.com. You can go to the donate link. Look, even if you can't make the conference, help support it. Help support somebody getting there. Help support uh, some of these workshop speakers who are going to be doing amazing, marvelous things. Help it. The, the, the more support you give on this go around. See, we don't even know. Look, Tyler, we, Tyler and I haven't even talked about next year. We're gonna do it one. We're gonna do one because right now, you know, we're gonna if, go mobile next year. So. <laughs> if you have ever done a, a planned a conference, especially the closer you get to it, leading up to it, you're like, never again. Uh uh. You can, you can pull my toes nah, out. We want to see uh -uh. y'all. We're gonna, we gonna come up to your house or something. You know? uh, we're yes. gonna do a series of house parties like we did in DC last year. Low key, but fun. We don't know. We don't know. But whatever happens, uh, we want you to be a part of it. We want you to come. 
if at all possible. Uh, if not, we want you to help support. Uh, you can make your con- contribution online or you can write us a check. Uh, go to joyandjustice.com at the donate link. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.